and welcome to Church for the Cities podcast in Yuma, Arizona with lead pastor Tyrone P. Jones. Our mission is for people to encounter the reality and presence of God. For sermon videos and next steps, visit us at ctcfamily.com. Now join us for the message. I'm going to ask you if you would take out your Bible and stand with me. We're going to just read two verses. We're in Romans, as you know, Romans chapter 1. Verses 16 and 17, just two verses there. I'm going to do more teaching today than preaching, I'm sure. Um, But I want to just, this is actually the last, uh, kind of the last introduction, I would say, uh, to Romans. This is the fourth message, but the last one of an introduction. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. If you have it, can you say amen? Amen. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Some translation says shown from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Can you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. Now in these verses, verses 16 and 17 that we're addressing today, they're, they're probably two of the most important, I would say, structures of sentences in probably all of literature. It's, it's here that the whole theme of the epistle is written, or this letter, the, the whole essence of Christianity uh, is found here, but the whole heart of biblical religion is found in these two verses. There's, I don't think there's two sentences that's ever been constructed that should mean more to us as people, men and women, than these two verses. Any of you familiar with Martin Luther at all, you know it was him wrestling, especially with verse number 17, uh, and him finally understanding it that had a real transformation on his life and began what we know is the Protestant Reformation because of Martin Luther wrestling with verse 17 and getting an understanding of that is why we are here in this Christian church because of that. Otherwise, before then, as you know, everyone was part of what was called the church then, which was the Catholic church. Him wrestling with this and initiating that reformation is why we are gathered here uh, this morning. So it had a profound effect upon his life, and I I just believe it'll do the same with you. Now, I, I don't think it's right or wise for me to dive too far into verse 16 and 17 without just briefly taking you back to verse 15, and which we dealt with last week, but because he said, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He hadn't been there yet, but he said he was eager to preach the gospel to him. Why was he eager to preach the gospel to him? That's where verse 16 comes up because he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. That's why he's not ashamed of it. And for everyone who believes, the scripture says, it's the righteousness of God that gets revealed to them by which we are made right in God. And we'll, we'll talk about that. And he quotes Habakkuk uh, chapter two, verses, verse four, when it says, it is written, that the righteous man shall live by faith. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing truth, amazing truth that I think if more Christians got a hold of that whole message right there, that righteous, the righteous live by faith. You'll stop wrestling with what God is doing in your life if you realize that the righteous 
live by faith, not about how good you are, but the righteous live by faith, not, not, not about how perfect you become or how holy you become, but the righteous live by faith. And so Paul here, he makes this statement very boldly. And, and it's interesting um, that like many of us, Paul had a life before he came to Christ and one that probably was stained like a lot of us. It wasn't a life of perfection. It wasn't a life of always doing the right thing. It was a life that was actually very counter to the way of Christianity. And even in his very own lifestyle, Paul did not live in a manner that reflects God's holiness and God's righteousness. Again, uh, like many of us, he had a real life change. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, it says, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So besides his lifestyle, he talks about how he was even against Christ and against the church. But yet, he says he's not ashamed of the gospel because he, and he wants to boldly preach it because he realizes it's the grace of God that's brought him into this experience. So in light of his own personal life, he preaches this gospel with passion because he knows what it's done for him. He expresses the opportunity to share that. And it's one that all of us should, should uh, want to have that desire. I got my, which is hard to say out of my mouth, but my 40-year class reunion, it's, it's hard to say that out of my mouth, that it's been 40 years. Do you know 40 years is a generation? I could basically say I graduated a generation ago uh, from high school. But, but I got to tell you, I, I'm telling you why I look forward to it every time. Because people that went to Yuma High School from the years of 1978 to 1981 still are astonished that Tyrone P. Jones would be a pastor of a church. They're still blown away. They're still blown away. And, and, and every time I go to my high school reunion, I get to once again, when the, and I always win the most change. I think I'm still changing, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I always win the most change. Well, wasn't he the most changed five years ago? Yeah, but he's changing some more. I mean, I guess I just keep changing. But I always win most change, and I get to stand, and the person who brings me up always says, Tyrone, tell him why you change. And it's a wonderful time for me to share again the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no reason to be uh, ashamed about what Christ has done uh, in your life. And I, I'm telling you, I've learned something. When you get delivered from things, you don't even mind telling people what you got delivered from because you know it wasn't you. You know it was the Lord who did it. And so there's some reasons on why, we're, why we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. And some of this I'm borrowing from uh, the Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, but he, the, he gives like eight reasons. I'm just going to give four reasons on why we're not ashamed of the gospel. And one of it is the gospel is it's just good news. I mean, it's just that simple. We're not ashamed of it because of the nature of it. Uh, the word here is euanglion uh, in, in the Greek, the E-U uh, means good or pleasant. You've heard of euphonious music. It means good or pleasant music or eulogy. Whenever you do a funeral for someone and they ask you to do the eulogy, they're expecting you to speak well of 
that person. Um, so you, that EU means good, it means pleasant. It's the de- declaration, the proclamation, the good herald or the good proclamation. It's something that people need to hear. Their life needs to hear it. It's rich in the, in the New Testament, but it's a word that we first encountered actually in the Old Testament. I shared this verse a few weeks ago, but Isaiah 52, 7 says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald, the one proclaiming, who proclaims peace, who brings good news of good things who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so even in the Old Testament, there was an acknowledgement and an honoring uh, of those who were bringing the message. The picture here is, you know, when they went out to war, of course, they didn't have cell phones and communication like we have. And so every army would have runners, uh, marathon runners, that would run back to the city, to the main city, or wherever the king might have been, to let them know how the war was going or how the battle was going. Those, those runners would run. People would sit on the wall uh, of the city, the watchmen, and they would look for these runners after a certain period of time when they figure they've gotten to where they're fighting, they've engaged for weeks or months, someone should be coming to let us know. If they saw the marathon runner coming and he looks like he was running in survival mode, like he had just made it out of the war himself, they knew that that was probably not good news. But if they saw the marathon running, and I mean, he was running in the beauty of the gate, like a gate of a horse, then they knew here he comes and he's bringing us good news. That's the root of that message, that the one running, the one coming, the one bringing the message is bringing us good news. And you'll see where that's going to go in just a moment. Now we use the word gospel in three different manners. The first one, most of us all know, uh, there's four books in the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. No, I mean, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, and John. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, and John, those are the biographical sketches of what we know about the life of Jesus. We call those the Gospels. It talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before Jesus was born, there was an awaited period. Remember, there was always a promise of the kingdom of God coming, mostly to Jewish people because they were under the oppression of several different leaders and empires. And even now, before Jesus comes, they're under the rule of Rome. And they knew from the, from the Old Testament that there was a prophecy that the kingdom of God would come, that people would not be under the kingdom of another. And it wouldn't be just a Jewish kingdom, but the kingdom of God was coming. And so all of the ministry, all of the teaching regarding that was the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. What's good news to us people that are under oppression to others? The good news that the kingdom of God is coming and only God will be our king. So that even before Jesus was born, the word gospel was to describe the gospel of the kingdom. Now in our text, And primarily what you know in the New Testament, uh, the word gospel is here, is talked about the message of Jesus Christ and his work for salvation. The gospel 
is the good news, and that's why we are not ashamed of it. It lets men and women, boys and girls, everywhere know that there is a manner in which you can be saved. And that actually leads to the second reason why we're not ashamed, because the gospel is the way of salvation. It is the way of salvation. And, and don't be fooled. You can, you can go down your list, and you can write down all the things that you need, you can start with one and go down through 10, 12, 15, and I'm telling you, what should be number one on your list is the need for salvation. Every one of us, that's the main thing that we need is salvation. The gospel is a good news for people who realize that they're perishing or life is coming to ruin, that there, there needs to be something different that changes. We don't need the gospel salvation if we believe that there's enough goodness in us that we can get right on through this life and walk right on into heaven as if we belong there. We don't need a gospel if that's what we believe can happen. We don't need Jesus to die on the cross if we don't believe that we're sinners. It's the first manner in which you come to the eternal light of Jesus Christ is recognizing that you are a sinner, that we need to be right with God. We don't need a crucified savior if all we wanna do is just, is just self-polish our self-esteem or make ourselves look better, or learn how to live some better tips in life to more have happier living. We don't need a gospel, but we need a savior who was crucified for our sins because our very nature is to be ungodly. The very nature of us is to be rebels. And according to the scripture, we're heading toward the wrath of God, which I'll deal with even more so next week. But, but, but salvation refers to us being rescued from God's wrath. The, the righteous and fair anger against God, uh, uh, by God against those who've rejected him. We need to be saved from that wrath. We all deserve to be eternally damned because of our sinfulness. But the gospel rescues us from the, from the wrath of God. It is being delivered. The, gospel, the salvation that we experience is being delivered from the penalty of sin. The very moment, and I need you to hear this, Christian, I need you to hear this, believer, the very moment that you gave your life to Christ, that very moment you were rescued from the penalty of sin, that very moment, not one person here should be concerned. I was just in the, the office the other day, I think I came, I don't know what, what day it was, and uh, went through the office to see who was working and didn't, couldn't find, all the offices was open, lights was on, but nobody was there. Uh, walked, walk up, walked around up front, and the only person up front was, was Emily. And I said, Emily, where's everybody at? She said, I don't, I don't know where they are. I said, I'll tell you where they ain't. I'll tell you where they ain't, besides being in their office. <laughs> tell you where they ain't. They ain't in heaven because the most holy folks in this building is me and you, and we still here. And, and, and so here, here, here's the moment. None of us should ever be concerned about the rapture, however you believe the rapture. Now, I probably don't believe it like most folks, but that's another preaching probably I'll get to in 2027. But in, in any event, however you believe it, none of you should ever have to worry about the rapture if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The very moment you believe in him, he's rescued you from the penalty of sin. Salvation also refers to us being delivered from the power of sin. And we grow in godliness. Sin doesn't have the effect on us that it once had. Can you still sin? Absolutely. But we grow 
in godliness. The power of sin has been broken. Now our flesh is being trained by the Holy Spirit to live a life of godliness. And that's a process. And we shouldn't kick people out along the way when, because they're growing through the process. All of you, those of you that have raised children, you've been children yourself. If you kicked your kids out every time they messed up, Some of y'all's kids still living with you. But if you kick, kick your kids out every time they messed up, I'm telling you, you would be childless pretty soon. If you got kicked out every time, you'd be part of the statistics of homeliness. God is not, God is a better father than I am. He's not trying to look for reasons to kick us out of his eternity or to kick us out of salvation, or to kick us out of his love and his goodness. There's a process of growing in godliness, and who can say thank God for the patience of God in the process? Being delivered, salvation is also being delivered from the very presence of sin. That's the day that I'm looking forward to, the day when I stand before the Lord, and there is no sin nowhere to be found. I can trust everybody standing around me. Whatever somebody says, I can believe it. Whatever I see happening is the real deal. When you're talking about having joy that never leaves you and peace beyond your understanding, that is the day I'm looking forward to in the presence of the almighty God. And what's so remarkable about that is he said we're going to stand before him blameless. I'm talking blameless where there is nothing that the almighty God will bring up against you because he's washed you by the blood of the lamb. Y'all doing all right? And salvation has a whole lot of positive effects that we reconcile to God in relationship. We get to experience uh, his peace, the unfathomable riches that we have here in Christ while we're still here on earth. Salvation, the gospel uh, of God is good news to us. It is the power of salvation because it is the power of God. It's, it's interesting when Paul says this, that he says the gospel is the power of God. And sometimes people read into that and they think that, God, that he's saying that, that God, the gospel is, is, uh, is God's way of expressing his power. Or sometimes people think the gospel is God's channel through of how he operates in power. No, no, no. It says the gospel itself is the power of God. The gospel itself. It means it is, the, it is the gospel by which God exercises his power to save us. A couple of things that we should know about that. That first of all means this, that salvation is not something that we do on our own. It's the power of God, the gospel that saves us. There's, there's no human decision that comes into this. God saves us. We respond to what he's done in our heart and in our mind. We respond to it. I'm going to tell you something. You're so deprived. You're so separated from God. You're such a rebel in rebellion. You don't have the ability to make a decision to serve the Lord, except the gospel comes to you first so that you hear and experience the liberating power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and a real clear example of this is when, is when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus. You'll find that in John chapter 4 if you've never read it. But there's a fellow there uh, by the name of Lazarus who has died. Jesus was a friend 
of his families. Mary and Martha was his sisters. Jesus spent much time at his house, and Lazarus died. Jesus was somewhere else, and they came and told Jesus, your friend Lazarus, at that time, he was sick. Your friend Lazarus is sick. They expected Jesus to go and pray for him. Jesus just hung around for a day or two more. And then they said something else about Lazarus, and he said, Lazarus is asleep. They thought he'd just mean sleeping. And so they said, well, he's doing well. He said, no, 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 Lazarus is dead. Let's go see him. So they're wondering why in the world, when the man was sick and you could have healed him, you didn't want to go. Now he's dead, and you want to go. And so enough, Jesus shows up. He asked, he asked the, the sister comes out. That's a whole another sermon. One was upset with him. The other one and decided I'm not even going to go see Jesus because he could have healed my brother. The other, one, the other sister comes out and clearly says, you know, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So they were not doing well. Jesus just said, tell me where he lies. So they took him to the tomb of Lazarus. Now, mind you, he's been, he's been dead four days. So they told him he stinks. So he's in the tomb and he's stinking. And Jesus goes up to the tomb. He prays to the Father that he might be glorified. Now, this dude is dead. Y'all understand what dead mean? Dead people ain't got no will to live. I I don't know if y'all know that. They got no will to live. He's dead. And Jesus stands there in front of that tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, mind you, he's down in steps, 35 steps down. He's wrapped up in mummy clothes. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And everybody's standing there, sees this. Coming up to the top of the steps. Lazarus, come forth. And there Lazarus is reporting to his master. The one who has the voice of life. The one that can bring life out of dead stuff. Listen to me, my God don't need your help to save you. His voice can bring a dead man out of a tomb. He can bring you out of your dead, sick condition by just saying unto you, Todd, come forth, Brian, come forth. He's able to do it. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He can do it all by himself. Ask Jonah. Jonah was in that well, three days and three nights, seaweed wrapped all around him. Dude knew he was done for. He cried out to God. When, when that whale or fish or whatever you read and believe it wanted to be, as far as I'm concerned, if God wanted to do it, it could have been a minnow. Could have been a memo, minnow that swallowed him up. A goldfish. Don't care. If God wanted to do something, he'll do it. There Jonah is in the bottom of that, of that fish. The fish vomited. Jonah comes out. You think Jonah stopped when he got on the shore and turned and said, oh, you're a good fish. Oh, thank you, fish, for getting sick. Jonah comes out of that whale, and what does he say? Salvation belongs to the Lord. When you come up out of a sin, sick, situation, there's nobody to thank but the almighty God who saved you. Am I talking to the right church? And so here's here's what the world doesn't understand. I'm probably not going to finish this message today. The world doesn't understand that it's the preaching of the gospel. It it is. The the Bible says it's, it's like foolishness. 
preaching is like foolishness. And, and I get it. When, I get it. People don't understand what is so important about preaching. And don't listen to this nonsense that people tell you the, preaching ain't the most important thing in the church. That's a flat out, almost cuss, baby. I'm glad you're here to keep me. That's a flat out lie. It's the preaching of the gospel that saves those who believe. We absolutely love singing. We absolutely love worshiping God, but don't miss it. It's the preaching of the gospel. The Lord has chosen the foolishness of people like me to stand up in front of folks like you and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you still never understand it. You'll never understand how you come here on a Sunday morning and you're feeling fine and when the preaching's going forth, you're weeping like a baby. You'll still never understand it. You'll never understand how when you came in here, you thought, I don't need nobody to tell me what to do. And as soon as the altar call is called, you can't get your hand up fast enough. You'll never understand it. I'll tell you why you won't understand it. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. The foolishness of it. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds absolutely insane. Every morning I wake up, I get to think, I get to go do some foolishness. (laughs) I get to go preach the gospel to somebody. That's what he's chosen. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, the thing to grasp is that the apostle was saying that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is of God's mighty working. It is God himself doing this thing, not simply telling us about it, doing it, and doing it in this way through the gospel. It's the power of God. Now, this last thing, and this is probably where I'm going to have to uh, end up and just pick this up next week. But this last thing is this. The gospel is for everyone, or the last thing that I'll go over. Everyone who believes. I, 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 I don't want you to miss this. Because you know we have a tendency to give up on folks. Don't we? We, we write some folks off in our head. Listen, I know folks who will not come to CTC because there's folks that they know who come here and they don't even want to be around them, don't think they should ever be in a church. We have a tendency to write folks off. We, we have a tendency, we, 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 we don't, we get really cynical about when we hear the messages about people who are in prison or people who went through a tough time or people who are on death row and they give their life to Christ as if There's a certain incident in our life that can stop us from believing. As if there's something that can take place. And of course, of course he's now a Christian. Of course he is now because of what he's been through. As if you got a storybook life. Said I wasn't going to preach, but I'm going to meddle a little bit. I'm going to get off all off in your Kool-Aid deep stirring it deep. As, as if we got a storybook life. As if there was not incidents in our life that is God, if God was not a merciful God, that he wouldn't have looked down on you and said, okay, that's enough. I'm sorry, Tyrone. I can't have nobody like you in heaven. The gospel is for everyone who believes. 
It, it, it's a gospel that's not of human power. It's, so it's not limited by, by human interests and abilities. It's not a gospel that's for some and not for others. It's not a gospel that's just for the strong and not for the weak, or just for the weak and not for the strong. It's not a gospel that's just for the intelligent and not the foolish, or just for the foolish and not the intelligent, or a gospel that's for poor and not for the rich, or the rich and not for poor. It's a gospel that doesn't exclude anyone. Listen to what this verse says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I'm telling you, that does mean the, the, the old molesting uncle. He can still believe. That does mean the fellow that raped your sister. He can still believe. That does mean the daddy that abandoned you or the mama who walked away. They can still believe. As long as blood is flowing in their veins, they can still believe. And our hope and desire is that they do believe. It doesn't mean you got to walk back in relationship with them. Let the Lord deal with the relationship issue, but you want them to be saved. Everyone who believes in him shall not perish, shall not come to ruin, but have eternal life. Acts 2.21 says this, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, everyone means everyone. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon them. The spirit and the bride. This is Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take of the free gift of the water of life. That should be the heart of us as believers is that this gospel should go to everyone. And you know what's interesting? Isn't this what the world said that they want? For everybody to be accepted? Isn't that what they say? They want everybody to be accepted. And, and they want everybody to be accepted on their message. But the very message from God that says everybody's accepted is the message they want to reject. Why? Because it wasn't their idea. It wasn't their thought. And they can be real selective with who they say should be accepted. Thank God there's a God in heaven who looks down upon men and women upon earth and says that not anyone is rejected from this message. And the more we come to the place that is not our power, but God's power, and realize that we cannot fix our own soul sickness, the sooner we'll trust Jesus Christ to be the savior of our soul. It's a message for everyone, black, white, Yellow, brown, gay, straight, binary, trans, whatever they call themselves, European, Asian, Latin, the gospel is a saving power for everyone who believes. Saving power for everyone. And so let me wrap this up with verse 17. And again, I won't finish this message. Team, you can come, but, but I, I want you to hear this last verse. I hope it's on the screen or verse 17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Here, to me, is really the only right response to what he just said in verse number 16. He wants us to know that righteousness is of God and from God and not from us. How is a man made right? Not by his own works, not by his own efforts. You, you'll find in your own life, if you haven't already, that you'll constantly fail. 
the more we try to get right, it seems like the worse it gets. Even when it seems like we're on a path of righteousness, then something just, just derails. Something comes off the track. Life gets turned upside down when you don't expect it. And, and in the middle of all of that, we're wandering and, and we're floating around trying to figure this thing out. And how can I ever get this stuff right? And the Lord is saying the whole time, I'm the one that makes you right. We are made right by him. He's the one that pardons our sin. We can be made right in the sight of God simply by faith. Faith is that, is that it, it, it just consists of, of things. Faith, first of all, is, is that it consists of knowledge. You got to have faith in someone. I think it was old, uh, was it Bob Dylan that says somebody, everybody going to worship somebody? Some of y'all older, y'all remember the song. Y'all act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But you got to have, you got to have, you got to have faith in something. In this case, it's in the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a heart response. Faith is a heart response. When I'm convinced that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and I'm convinced that God is a God who truly wants me to be one of his sons and one of his daughters, there's a heart response. And then it's a commitment. It's a commitment to say, yes, I'm going to trust this Lord and Savior to be my God. Thomas, in, in John 20, 28, I don't think this will be on the screen. He says, my Lord and my God. But, but, but here is what I want to close with, make it a safe landing right here. He says we live from faith to faith. Here is where a lot of us as Christians get it all messed up. We get saved. It's almost like marriage. We, we go through the, we got a whole lot of grace in the courtship stage. Then once you get married, the marriage becomes a law got to do it my way do it this way as everything goes haywire whole lot of grace in the court oh baby it's okay you know I'm so sorry I'm like oh baby it's all right but then when you get married why you like that how come you do it that way all kind of grace in the courtship stage and then law when you get into the marriage I'm not talking about you baby you're not like that at all not at all that's serious not at all in the name of Jesus thank God <laughs> but uh, but but we do the same thing in our relationship with the Lord. We know, it's, we know it's his grace that gets us in. And then all of a sudden we think we gotta live by the law. Listen to me, it's faith to faith. The moment I come to Jesus Christ is because I have faith in him. Well, how am I gonna live this life that he wants me to live? By having faith in him. It never comes back to you. It's faith to faith. That's why a whole lot of folks don't come into Christianity. They look at other folks and say, I can't live like that. You don't have to live like that if you trust him by faith. He's the one that does it. Faith to faith. That's how we live every single day. How can I, a sinner, stand before you and preach the gospel? Because I live by faith. How can you sit next to the people that you sat next to and sing those songs of Zion that we sing? Because you live by faith. How do you get to those tough moments when you're tempted by sin? It's living by faith. How do you overcome the conviction that you have by, of sin? Because you live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It's a faith walk. Christ saved you for eternity. He didn't save you 
with no trickery. He didn't save you to say, hey, I'm saving you, but the moment you mess up, you're out. He didn't save you with the thought, you know, if you don't, if you don't keep doing what I tell you to do, this is going to be over. He saved you with the heart and the mind and the desire to take you all the way to eternity. We live from faith to faith. Everybody stand if you would. I'm sorry I didn't finish the message. There's a whole lot more here, but I hope the Lord said something to you. Prayer team, come if you would. Those of you that are, that are watching online, I don't want you to tune out yet. I don't want you to tune out. There's, there's something here that I, and I, this verse might be on the screen, I hope. There's something here I think you need to know. That this message was not just for the folks in this building. Don't know who you are or where you are. This message was not just to the folks in this building. And those of you that's in this building, I don't want you to leave without considering this. You have to come to the place to what was just preached. What you're hearing about Jesus that you're going to have to personally believe. It, it doesn't have no effect if you don't believe that Christ wants to save you. And then the scripture tells us just to confess it with our mouth. Confess it with our mouth. Maybe this verse will still be on the screen. It says this. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Hear this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the message to you. That's the message to you. That Christ wants to save you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Just close your eyes. I want to just want to make an appeal. Those of you that are online, there's going to be a host there that will follow through with this. But if you're online, or if you're in this building, online you can put up a hand sign. If you're in this building, and today you want to be, that you want today to be the day that you say, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand up right where you are. Make that confession. Personally believe that Jesus came to save you. Those of you online, you can do the same. The host will follow up with you. And I'll, God bless you. And I want to I say this also. I want to say this. Don't allow any fear or any concern about what your life is like right now and that you have no ability to change it. Understand from me, you don't. But the moment you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God comes in your life and He does the work in you. He does the work in you. And so again, if you're here and you want to commit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can just raise your hand. We'll pray for you where you are. Those who are online can do the same. Father, I want to thank you for the work that you have done in all of our lives. We don't stand here, Lord, with any reason to boast or any reason to brag. We know what you have done. We're so grateful that someone cared enough, loved us enough, patient with us enough to share you with us. I pray, Lord God, that the gospel message that we have received will take root in our hearts and our lives, and we, live, we will live day to day by faith. We're thankful that you've made us right. 
But Lord, I also pray that you will give us an encouragement and an inspiration to share what you have done for us with others. Those that we know, those that we love, those that we come in contact with. For this gospel is for everyone. And so I pray, Lord God, that we will share this truth with those who are far from you. Father, we do thank you and we do love you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen.